Hello, and welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. The goal of this podcast is to contribute to your success and, in turn, help you contribute to the success of your medtech company. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. This is a crazy time to start a podcast with the coronavirus dominating the news. However, there are important things we medical device professionals can be doing in this altered landscape of strategies and tactics for marketing, sales, and operations. So, working in the era of the coronavirus, hopefully a short era, will be the subject of this first season of episodes. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 11 of the Medical Device Success Podcast, and today we are going to the battlefront of sales in the COVID era. And to give you just a little taste of what we're going to hear from a sales leader, I'm going to play this clip. What does a sales call look like? How do we deliver an effective sales call? And I think to your point, that's, we're going to have to figure out how we deliver a sales call virtually flawlessly. And that, that's where we're spending a lot of our time is in our practice, like role play, actually role playing this is, okay, how do you use Zoom? How do you like your, the stuff you presented in the yeah, earlier perfect. podcast perfect. about, the, you know, how do you do an effective PowerPoint or is it a Prezi presentation? How much of the screen is, is you as the rep and the customer because you still need to have that eye contact? And how do you keep that interaction engaging? Like to me, that's the challenge post-pandemically that we're going to face because – In just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to this sales leader, but first I want to make you aware of some new re-entry guidance that just came out from AdvaMed this past week. And this guidance is a collaboration between the American Hospital Association, the Association of Perioperative Registered Nurses, and AdvaMed, which is also called the Advanced Medical Technology Association. For those of you that don't know who AdvaMed is, you really should know. AdvaMed's mission is to advocate globally for the highest ethical standards and patient access to safe, effective, and innovative medical technologies that save and improve lives. And if you go to the website and you'll see their description of who they are, they are a trade association that leads the effort to advance medical technology in order to achieve healthier lives, and so on and so forth. They have about 400 members from very small companies to large companies, and they really do great work. They have great great programs, and they have great events. But what's important about this guidance is a couple bullet points that they have here that I think you should be aware of. And in the consideration section under all areas of hospitals and other healthcare facilities, it says medical device representatives should work with facilities and providers to li- to deliver services, information, and support remotely whenever possible. There you go. We're back to a virtual world. Uh, the second bullet, medical device representatives needing facility access for servicing medical equipment should follow the same social distancing and access policies applicable to staff with access to the equipment. And the third bullet is that medical device representatives entering all areas of the facility should take safety precautions in accordance with the CDC, community recommendations, and state 
and or local public health recommendations regarding hand washing, face coverings, etc. So you really need to not only know the CDC guidance, but you need to know state and local guidance. And of course, you need to talk to the hospital before you go in and find out what all the new procedures are. So um, I will have download of this on the show notes. You should read it and make sure your company is abiding by these standards. International listeners should be checking for guidance in their country and also any guidance that might be specific to regions, provinces, and so on. I guess that's a good segue back to the battlefield because that's part of the definition of the new battlefield we're fighting on to compete and to provide services and value to our customers. And today we are really fortunate to have a sales leader with us, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun talking to him. You know, it's one thing to be a consultant like myself and sit behind a microphone and give advice, and perhaps I feel like I have some authority to do that due to the connections I have in industry and industry experience, but it's totally something different to talk to somebody that is actually implementing action now in this new era. You are going to find this very, very interesting. Our guest today is Jeff Hydar. He's the Vice President of Sales, North America, for Kent Imaging. Jeff is an award-winning strategic sales executive that has run successful teams with Johnson & Johnson, LifeCell, and Medline. He brings over 20 years of pharmaceutical and medical device sales experience, and he directs Kent's product sales in the wound and surgical care markets with his experience of guiding sales teams and his motivational leadership style. Jeff, it's really great to have you on the podcast today, and it's great to have somebody from the trenches, from the real world, you know, a person that's trying to lead a sales team in this COVID era and coming into the reopening. So welcome to the podcast. Ted, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for uh, including me, and uh, thanks a lot for when I reached out to you on LinkedIn. Um, this has been a great podcast for me as a sales leader, and I've, I've definitely shared it with my team and many others. So you're doing a great service to the medical device industry and appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate those comments. You know, when I was preparing for this and I was looking at uh, the company that you work for, uh, Kent, and I was um, thinking about my career, it was interesting because Early, my early career was in plastic surgery, neurosurgery, urology, and it was all silicone implants. And in fact, I was the marketing guy behind the first tissue expanders uh, invented by Chetavir Radovan. And we always had a concern about blood flow in the tissue around those tissue expanders and also the uh, various reconstructive procedures we were involved in, like the breast reconstructions where they did some of those complicated flaps that your technology helps in. So it really sort of took me back in time to an early part of my career, and I'm just so impressed with the technology you guys have. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Kent Imaging is a company that was born out of technology, developed at the Canadian National Research Council. So the team that developed it, our PhD, Mike Soa, was part of the team that was actually part of developing a technology um, utilizing endocyanine green. And that company went off to become Novadac. Uh, Mike stayed at the Canadian National Research Council and developed our technology. So when you talk about blood flow, very familiar with that. And and our technology tends to look at more of the effects of blood flow, which looks at tissue oxygenation. So we're looking at more of the physiologic versus the anatomical effects. So it's it's been a fun fun world. You know, I spent a long period of time at uh, LifeCell selling acellular dermal matrices, 
and had this experience. So it was, a, it was a natural move for me. But our technology where it's really helpful is helping patients. There's so many complications that exist when you don't have good blood flow or good oxygenation to the tissue. You know, it's really maybe something that wasn't appreciated 10 or 15 years ago. And now it's become the gold standard that it's something you have to, whether it be plastic surgery or vascular surgery, you know, any sort of reconstruction, and especially in wound care and, and critical limb ischemia patients who have these vascular issues that are leading to dead toes or otherwise leading to amputations. And, and our company as a whole, we're really focused not just on the technology, but on helping the patient. You know, when someone gets an amputation, it's a five-year death sentence. There's a 5% survival rates of people post-amputation. So th- this is really, uh, I wouldn't say at a cottage industry, it's, it's, it's a very terrible, very wide-reaching um, impact on our older population and diabetic population. But uh, it's cool to be a part of a company that is focusing on the patient. That's that's the culture we have there is patient first and the, the technology and the application of it will follow. Is this the first startup you've been involved in? Um, to this uh, early stage, yes, for sure. I've been involved with uh, starting up divisions. I was in the earlier, or, you know, kind of mid phase of the startup phase with LifeCell, but this is, uh, you know, we, we came from the ground up on this one. So it's been fun. A lot of great learnings, especially coming from larger corporate backgrounds like Johnson & Johnson, and even LifeCell had more of a corporate structure. So, so we're, uh, so to say, bootstrapping this one, but it's been a great, we've had great adoption and we've got some very great support from key opinion leaders who see the value and relevance of our technology. So it's, I hate to keep using the word, but it's been very fun to to do this and to build this technology. I'm going to take this a little bit of a different direction just for a second. But um, first of all, LifeCell, I owned stock in LifeCell a long time ago before they were acquired. And I did pretty well. Good for you. (laughs) Thank you for your efforts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the other thing you mentioned is the sort of career path issue, you swear comment on the fact that you have a big company background that has benefited you in the startup environment. And that's just something I really want to emphasize. When people ask me for career advice, I frequently tell them, try to get on board with a really well-run large company because they provide all kinds of additional education and they provide a structure and an example of how something should be run you know, before you go forward, before you try to work for a smaller company, obviously that's work for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that statement any more than, than, than what you just said. I mean, it's, there's so many learnings there's so many little academic classes you take along the way, like social styles and versatility training, how to coach people in different phases of their career, how to identify different behavior traits to really look below that and, uh, I used to work with a guy by the name of Greg Zimmer, and and he would always used to think, what's the question behind the question? That's something that I've applied. You know, it's something you wouldn't get when you're in a startup or two or three people in a room. Like you get so much experience, so much education, and and you get to see it applied. I mean, I, there's there's probably uh, I would say a majority of the examples I pull of how we handle something come from those large company experiences. Yeah, a lot of people early in their career will ask me, you know, how they can get into the startup environment, and I think. This might be somewhat reflective of the Silicon Valley news that we hear all the time related to companies like Google, Facebook, Twitter, where people without a lot of industry experience suddenly are very, very successful in a startup. And that is ultra, ultra rare. And I think it's real important to have big company background. You know, before you move into a startup environment, you'll bring a lot more value to the startup. Yeah, and this is something I would say to the listeners is, 
you know, when you make that move to go to a startup, especially right now, there's a ton of opportunities to become an independent distributor. I, I'm going to take on two or three lines. I'll run my own business. It'll be freedom. I'll have the security that I've never had before, and I won't have to worry about having my job eliminated. And I think that's a very nice romantic thought. But the one thing I, I, I just cannot emphasize enough is you have to have a stomach for something less than perfection. Um, it's just the way it is. You don't have the deep pockets. You don't have the resources. Many times you're having to you know, wear many, many, many different hats. And whether that's an independent distributor or that is you know, a startup that's in a, in a more corporate function as we are, you really have to have thick skin and uh, a lot of Pepto-Bismol to keep your stomach from uh, getting large ulcers. But it's again, if you if you enjoy that environment, it is very fun and it's extremely rewarding. You know, one of the reasons I, I wanted to come to startup or get into starting up new divisions of companies is I never wanted to be a cog in the wheel. That was always a fear that I had. And uh, when you when you're running something like in the early phases, regardless of what your role is, if you're a clinical specialist who's just happened to be you know, your role is to cover cases, you find yourself doing marketing. Find yourself doing other roles that you will never be a cog in the wheel. Like you're always going to have value and contribution to what you're doing. I know a lot of millennials seek that. It's nice to seek it, but you have to have that uh, stick to itiveness and, and intestinal fortitude to be able to be successful with that. And the skills. And you mentioned um, you have to have the stomach for it and you have to be willing to wear a lot of hats. I remember when I was running a US operation for an Israeli startup. And we had three people, and I was in the rotation. I was the president of the company, but I was in the rotation to clean the toilets. So that's the way it works. I mean, in, until we had the cash flow where we could hire a cleaning crew, I was in the rotation to clean the toilets. And that's part of, that can be part of the startup environment. It 100% is. Yeah. So let's get back to Jeff Haidar, who is now in the middle of COVID era, trying to run a young company a small sales team, and trying to succeed. Let's talk about some of that. What kind of sales team do you have? So we have um, a mixed model of myself, and then we have a director of sales who runs a lot of the U.S. operations and support for our distributors. And then we have a distribution network, a couple large national uh, distributors that are maybe don't cover the whole country, but have large sections of the country, and then a couple regional distributors. So what we have is, and then we have a clinical sales specialist. So what we do is we support that sales effort through the technical and kind of internal tribal knowledge of the product to help them sell the product. And the distributors are really valuable for the relationships they bring to the table. They know where contracting is. They know how to get around the process and, and maneuver through the hospital. And then we come in and, and leverage that with the product. Uh, it's been a, it's been a good, especially as a startup, it's a very wise way, I think, to grow your business. A lot of companies go after a direct sales force out of the gate. and It's, it's just a large expense. You're, you're covering a lot of benefits, a lot of costs in a time frame when you're not generating as much revenue as you may like. I think you know years down the road, most companies do move to a, a direct sales force model, but we've been very successful with our distributor model, not without challenges. But I think, you know again, in the COVID era, it's really helped save our organization. I think if we were having to furlough people or, or let go of even five or six sales reps, that would be very, very hard to stomach. I agree with you. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, Crossing the Chasm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the a lot of companies, they get this growth during the innovative and early adoption phase of, uh, of the product lifecycle for a product. And, you know, many companies are like yours. They're sort of a one product company. So they think they're doing really great because they have this steady growth in these early phases. And they think that justifies hiring 
a huge direct sales force and they spend all this money doing it and they run into the chasm and they can't make the bridge to the um, early majority part of the phase and they die. That's where they die um, when they're trying to cross the chasm because they don't know how to do it. And I think you're right. I think it's it's important for a startup to conserve its resources, really get things perfected, and using distributors, independent reps can be very helpful in that process prior to you know moving on and maybe moving into a hybrid model where you have a few more um, sales reps in the field, but still with a distribution network and so on. So that's great. Then what what kind of challenges have you been facing? As this COVID era first it started, and you're trying to start up a company and you know get revenues rolling. I mean, obviously, from what I've read, you you do have revenues going, but still, it's not the greatest time for this to happen. So COVID hits, and now you're looking into the future at the recovery era. So Ted, I totally agree with you. The challenge of raising funds right now, of trying to get revenue. Very, very challenging, especially when you look at investors. Investors can take their money and put it into the stock market and play the volatility game and do very, very well with that if they're willing to take that risk. What we're really focused on is those investors, and and they're still out there, is those ones who are focusing on building a company with a three to five year horizon, knowing that company is going to roll into either an IPO or be acquired by another organization. There's still those folks out there, but this has really caused everyone to pause because they don't want to take a risk because there's too many unknowns in the marketplace right now. Um, so I think that's created one challenge. From a revenue side of things, hospitals have put capital freezes on. Clinics don't know what they want to do as far as investing. Um, some of the customers we talk to, some of our most loyal customers, the challenge they have is just simply how are they going to stay open, right? So from the plastic surgeon side of things, they were their caseloads were reduced to only essential cases. So that meant cancer. So they some, some hospitals even went so far as we will do a mastectomy, but we will not do a reconstruction. We're going to wait for that. So you have those folks who are, you know, have a staff to support. So what product they use doesn't even matter at this point. They're more focused on how do I keep my doors open? How do I keep my staff employed? So it's really changed. Um, you know, if we think about the Challenger sale, the book by uh, Matt Dixon and Brent Adamson, you know, we have to reframe our conversation to the customer, to what matters to them. So it's really caused a lot of change for us in how we approach the market and what our value proposition is. And what was that book again? It's called The Challenger Sale. By Matt Dixon and Brent Adamson. It's a, it's a great book if you haven't read it. Um, really what it does is most people who are successive, successful sales reps help really reframe the conversation from give me a better price to let's look at the larger picture. How do we help fill your need? So our product is the only solution you have to fill that need. So you really start with, you know, kind of Simon Sinek, you start with why, why do we matter? How can we build a relationship to help you? You kind of frame it so that your product is the only one that meets that need. It's a great read. If you haven't read it, I would strongly recommend it to any any salesperson or sales professional or even marketing professional who wants to differentiate themselves. I will put a link to that book in the uh, show notes. Okay, so you know you've got this challenge, and you've described it really well. Hospitals, clinics, practices throwing up a lot of roadblocks. They have a lot of concerns and. You know, a lot of our products and our companies and the what we provide aren't top of mind at the moment. So we have to find a way to make them top of mind or, or get back in that game. What changes to the sales process have you been looking at implementing or considering implementing? And 
how do you rule? And this is a, several questions, so <laughs> sorry about this. But if you're if you're considering these things, how do you then roll them into the distribution process, and what challenges do you have there? So I'm going to try and answer this the best I can. It'll be a little bit of a long answer. So when we think about the old sales model or old commercial model, and I'm just going to focus on sales because in our organization, sales and marketing are married pretty tightly. We work together very well and we're very dependent upon each other. But, but it was a face-to-face conversation. We built a relationship with a person. We had a nice brochure. We did the peekaboo. We're here. Look at my brochure. Now I'm going to set it down. Let's talk about the point I just had. You did lunch and learns. You were able to bump into people at the scrub sink or in between patients. You could catch them for a couple of minutes, and that is totally blown up. Right? That just doesn't exist anymore. So you, you know, as you shared earlier with the AMA guidance and Avamed, providing guidance on, on really restricting access. And I think in one of your earlier podcasts, you talked about physicians being recommended to have their own office hours for vendors. So that's really changed things. So we've got to figure out how do we engage in that model. How do we you know, having relationships with pre-existing customers with distributors works awesome. But when you can't just show up at a place, drop information or create that cold call or that cold to warm interaction and turn it into a trial, it's very hard. So the playing field has changed for us. We have you know very limited access. We're battling with the physician's mindset and all the other things. Um, I've seen a lot of companies go webinar crazy, but they're not going to sit on their computers after you know, struggling with these things all day to go sit on a webinar. So, you know, what is the become the new norm, I think is going to be a short term norm. So to answer your question, if I'm tracking with the questions you ask is, what are we doing in this post pandemic model? So, you know, we we actually sat down over the past couple of weeks, myself and our sales director, Will Seward, we and, and Ryan, who's our clinical specialist, and we sat down and we really just looked at what are the characteristics of our reps? And the, the rep who's going to be successful in the future, I think, is going to have to be very tech savvy, very adaptable and coachable. They're going to have to be very strategic and easily maneuvered and understand where they're meeting the customer. You know, they're meeting them online. So what does that sales call look like? That sales call is not going to be what we used to do. We're going to have to figure out how we present to them in a way that keeps their attention. If it's going to be through a Zoom call, how do you execute an excellent Zoom call? So you know, the, the perspective you've given in prior conversations about excelling, accelerating your ability to use PowerPoint or Prezi, like you're going to have to make these conversations for, for lack of a better term, quite sexy to maintain people's attention. But you also want to be able to maintain their eye contact. So we're going through that process to really reassess what a, sex, a successful sales call is and what a successful sales process is, because now I think that that's completely changed. So we took this model and then brought it to our director of research, Liz Newell, and Liz and, and kind of shared her input on this because she deals with customers quite a bit. So again, we all wear many hats in a startup. And what you'll see is, is you know, what we think is we're going to have to work with our marketing group to make sure we've got flawless presentations, very good, exciting information to share, a lot more video demos, a lot more video specific to application where it's going to maintain the person's attention and it's got to be active. Um, you know, we have ADD when it comes to technology. So that's what we're, we're, we're attempting to move towards. We hope it's right. And that, that's what actually prompted me, Ted, to reach out to you um, through LinkedIn is, is understanding what are you seeing? What are you hearing? And I'd love to hear from other companies what they're doing. Because, you know, when I've surveyed other cust- customer or colleagues that I have, it seems that they're relying on marketing to provide a solution for this. The reps are going to go back in and they're going to maintain their position they had and they'll be there to support as needed. But, you know, I, I, I hate to say that the medical device rep is going to be the encyclopedia salesman because I really don't believe that. 
I just think that those that don't adapt to the new environment will become the way of the encyclopedia salesman or the fuller brush salesman that, yeah, I remember when. But I think we're going to our skill sets are going to have to change to be successful uh, to commercialize new products. Well, I think that's a really important message. And what I love to hear about this is the fact that you and your marketing crew are working very closely together and your clinical team. I think that's so important. And it's something that we've been encouraging, you know, on the podcast, as you as you indicated. You know, I have talked to a couple of people in, in an area that I'm very familiar with, which is ophthalmology. And I'm really surprised that I'm not hearing a lot of ad- adoption. I think they do believe that they will be going into the normal environment that they had in the past. In fact, they had not seen the AdvaMed or the AMA or the CMS guidance on visitors to practices or clinical facilities or hospitals. So I was a little bit surprised at that. And a publisher asked me the other day uh, what I thought sales would be like for diagnostic equipment and ophthalmology going into the last couple quarters of the year. I said that it was going to be very, very difficult. Um, And the statistics aren't, I don't know what they are in plastic surgery, but I know what they are in a couple other specialties is that many of these practices have been injured financially and they're not going to have a huge capital budget. So really being able to communicate your value proposition is going to be real important and to do it a different and a new way, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's great to hear this. Well, it, it's great to hear. And Ted, I think what's more important is I really hope we deliver excellence in the model we developed. Um, you know, I think it's it's great to talk about, but it, at the end of the day, you know, uh, we're not we don't have guaranteed incomes like a large company where they can say, okay, we could take a, a two quarter risk on this. Like we've got to execute flawlessly, and I'm confident in our team to do that. But I think this will, to your point, like there are companies out there who think that things are going to be normal, and and you know, for a company in a startup phase, we don't have a two or three quarter mulligan where we can just kind of proceed as is and we have the financial wherewithal to continue. We certainly are well-funded, but it is important to deliver whatever we do flawlessly. And uh, I like your previous quote, we're going to give you a cold shower and then a warm towel afterwards. So I think the cold shower here is that as much as people want to believe things will return to normal, I just don't see that happening Um, in my conversations and customers, again, with the guidance you've mentioned. But I think the warm towel is that those that are strategic, those that are innovative, and those that are are willing to adopt and adapt will be very, very successful. And I think they will be wildly successful because they'll uh, they'll find the way in. They'll get the key to the kingdom. And what I was impressed with when you and I had talked earlier prior to the podcast getting started or us hitting the record button, you had talked about um, not just designing a new program and new tools and things that you're going to use in the field, but also practicing role playing. So, yeah. So I think, you know, as a manufacturer, our value to distributors is, is ever more important. Um, They have other, excuse me, other products that they are able to utilize and sell and so we've got to continue to provide value to them. So some of the things we've done is, again, sharing this podcast with distributor and distributor reps to help them improve their skill sets. Sharing things like the embedded video emails uh, has actually had great impact for us. We've been able to to increase our presence and build relationship. And, and we've had people comment on that. It really helps simplify a conversation that they would not have otherwise been able to have live. You know, I think for the distributors to for us to continue to provide value, we can help them with with a skill set. So we have a veteran team at Kent Imaging, and we all have to go back and sharpen the saw at some point. And everybody hates role playing. I think any sales rep who's listening to this or anybody in marketing will know, 
role play stinks. And, uh, you know, what we're doing is we're actually going back and saying, okay, do we know how to work Zoom properly? How do we answer a question? If someone throws you a, a curveball, how are you, how quickly you're able to adapt and have the resources in front of you to answer that question? Whereas you might have had a, a sales aid to point to now, how quickly can you get to that sales aid? And do you have maybe a list of your key resources that you can, you know, alt tab into to share with the customer to answer the question? Now, of course, you always want to leave them with something to come back with. So you don't always have to answer it, but I think there's a balance there. So having to role play this new type of sales call, and, and again, we're not depending totally on electronic sales calls. That is a, that is a skill set we're going to have to develop, and I just I can't emphasize the role play of it enough because everyone thinks they know how to do it. And just like when Zoom started, you know, where's the mute button? I don't know why I can't connect with you. I'm not sure why my microphone's not working. Like those are the things that just now have become unacceptable. So it's a, it's a skill set, uh, and we have to role play that skill set. That's awesome. Anything else you would like to share with the audience um, before we wrap this thing up? You know, I, I, there's so many things, you know, in preparation and talking, you know, there's just so much you'd like to share. But there's there's one quote that Jocko Willink, and, and he's author of the book uh, Extreme Ownership, and, and he's a former Navy SEAL. And his whole point is that when challenges come to you, you're, you're going to have to own it. And he has a quote that he says, some things are completely out of your control, and that's fine. When that happens, you have to ask yourself, what can I control to make this situation just a little bit better? And then you got to go. You don't get crushed by the things that are going to go wrong. Ask yourself, what am I going to do? And then go do it. And I think right now, this is a critical time that, you know, I'm an Enneagram 8. I have people on my team that are twos and other personality styles, but I'm a run into the fire and get it done type of personality. But I have to remember that everybody is not like that. And that was a major learning for me in this process, because as soon as we found out this happened, I think it was around March 13th, you know, that, that following week, things really began to shut down and... I was like, okay, great. We got a problem. Let's solve it. And our company came up with some great solutions with our product to make it more of a, a remote access type of product. And, and it's, it's really helped serve us well. But I had to, as a leader, make sure I was bringing my team along with that. Some were still stuck in the, the mourning period because their world had just changed. They were still adapting to their kids being at home and having to do homeschooling. My, ch- my kids are all older, so I'm not facing that. They're somewhat independent. I don't have to babysit that issue. So Really, as a leader, that's one thing I think I did not do well and have adapted to is that everybody is a different place. You know, we have a CEO working out of a, a bedroom in his home where before he was working out of an office where he had everybody near him. How do we do me? So that, that to me was a big learning. We all have different personalities and we all have to adapt and make sure we're moving along at the same pace. All the sales stuff is great. It's good conversation. I think good leaders will adapt to that. But that interpersonal component is a, such a critical part of this change that we're going to try and lead ourselves through in the post-COVID era. Wow. Well, that's great advice. And all I can say is to uh, any investors that are thinking about in- investing in Kent Imaging, it's like a no-brainer. It sounds like you guys have a great team. I looked at the website. Awesome technology. Really has a lot of value. And I can see you moving into more things like into interoperative usage of the product. It sounds like you're already doing that, but interoperative usage and uh, maybe even telemedicine usage after my two telemedicine podcasts and getting to know that industry better. I just think there's so much potential for your technology and I wish you guys the best of luck. I think you're going to do really well. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you reaching out and uh, uh, affording me a great opportunity. I love to love to talk about stuff like this. It really is a passion. You know, you know Jeff, uh, something we mentioned earlier, and I want to bring this back, is 
this will be really interesting to see where you and your team are in three or four months. So if you don't mind, I'd love to have you back so we can see where, where your efforts have taken you and what did work and what didn't work. I'd love to do it. Welcome the opportunity. And, and hopefully we're, uh, we're sharing a great success story. I'm sure you will. And be. certainly maybe even doing it face to face, right? Well, we, we'll be out of this lockdown era. That'd be great. That'd be <laughs> great. All right. Listen, you take care and thanks again. Thanks, Ted. Have a great day. Thanks for putting your podcast out there. It's a value. It really is valuable. And I, I really appreciate it. That was inspiring. That was definitely a warm towel after a cold shower. Let's summarize. Jeff is a sales leader that exemplifies professionalism. Okay, Jeff, I hope I'm not embarrassing you, but Jeff reads, listens, learns, and then applies it to his profession. If you need a leadership book to read, we have several of Jeff's favorites in the show notes. At Kent Imaging, the sales team, marketing team, science team, and clinical training team worked together to develop new tools for the sales process. Then they practiced and they role-played so they could deliver, as Jeff says, flawlessly. This is how it is done. And in a few months, we will visit with Jeff again to see how the Kent Imaging team is doing. So look in the show notes for the books Jeff uh, recommended. And today's immediate impact idea is to download the AMA, CDC, and AdvaMed guidance on healthcare reopening. They are in the show notes. Links Links are in the show notes. Study these and be sure your team will be in compliance. International listeners need to get the guidance from their country their region, state, province, and city, and be sure they understand how to comply with it. If you like this podcast, please recommend it, rate it, and subscribe. Now go win your week.